Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man 
and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he, has, he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, uh, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, he'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen.
And today's podcast is titled Stefan Clark Colin Kaepernick Civic Asset. Once again, Stefan Clark Colin Kaepernick Civic Assets. The uh, live stream number six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. We'll be right back to start it off in about three minutes.
Okay, today's podcast once again is titled Stephon Clark, or I should say the Stephon Clark and Colin Kaepernick Civic Assets. The Stephon Clark, Colin Kaepernick Civic Assets. Now, and of course, the live stream on the 619-768-2945. Now, we know Stephon Clark is the latest, um, or one of the latest, put it that way high-profile homicides of uh, black men uh, getting shot by white police. Uh, and there's been or a string of this for, I mean, it's, it, it happens on a regular. Now, Colin Kaepernick, as we know, uh, was a professional football player in the NFL, and he, as a form of protesting, he took a knee and he um, – Allegedly, is blackballed. Uh, he's not playing in, uh, you know, the uh, NFL at the moment. So, what can we? What what strategy? Because the the marching apparently has not helped. Um, the praying to Jesus has helped. So, what can help? Well, uh, just by looking at what other people have done, many others have done. However, it hasn't morphed in the African American. Well, it has, uh, but there's not enough of them. What's needed, in my opinion, are civic assets. Civic assets. Civic assets are institutions created by people to solve specific problems. That's what a civic asset is. As a matter of fact, civic assets to deal with certain problems in gut you know, between the the public, the general public well maybe certain groups within the general public and government. Okay? That's what a civic asset is. Now in the African American community, you do have the NAACP. That's a civic asset, and they got a lot of legislation during the Civil Rights era on the books. Okay, and a lot of us know that already, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff written on that. That you can find online, and and, it, and the NAACP is around, it's still around. But the NAACP, as a civic asset, can only solve certain type of problems. Okay, they they can't, they're not a coverall. One of the things that they can't cover is the murder of homicide, because you have a lot of you have a lot of parents, particularly in the African American community, with their child is. Uh, gun down or something like that, uh, one of the first things they'll do is they'll call the NAACP, Jesse Jackson, and Al Sharpton. Okay, Jesse Jackson, he formed the Rainbow Coalition. That is another civic asset, but it's it's got, you know, narrow guidelines. It, 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 it can't be all things to all black folks. Okay, he has his niche that he feels and he, he does a you know decent job at it. 
NAACP has their niche. Al Sharpton has his niche. Okay. But these are just three organizations that they can't, it's not written in their constitutional bylaws, you know, that they can stop all these murders or change policy within local police departments. That That's not the purpose that those three organizations or, or entities were set up for. They, they do what they do. They do it well, but they can't do everything for all black folk. Okay. What's needed, in my opinion, is a civic asset can address the issue of black folk getting shot by the police. And different results in court cases in these these matters. What's called for civic it's got to be created, okay? Now, Black Lives Matter, they're good at, oh, man, I guess highlighting something. I, I, You know, I don't know if they're a civic asset yet, you know, because they're new, relatively new, and they're working on things. But, you know, well, you know, to be continued on that. What I'm going to do today, there, there are three things in line with Claude Anderson, uh, which I'm breaking down from Claude Anderson, that are civic assets that are missing in the black community on a critical mass basis. We need three fundamental types of civic assets when it comes to addressing black people shot by the police. And or anybody, and you know, the, the, you know, like a Zimmerman case and Trayvon Martin, all that. We need fundamentally, on a critical mass basis, we need special interest groups, SIG special interest groups. We need pressure groups. There's a distinction here, and political action committees, PACs. You know, actually, four things: think tanks. Although a think tank can arise out of the special interest groups or the pressure, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, or pressure groups. Today we're going to cover, you know, what is a pressure group? What is a special interest group? We're not going to cover the PACs today or, or, or funded think tanks. We're, we're dealing with fundamentals, and I want to, our room schoolhouse will offer workshops on this. So if you want to, uh, form or create a special interest group to tackle a problem in your community. And, and let's say in this case, we're talking about black folk that want to see some type of entity that can respond to government, respond to the police department, respond to have influence with those entities. Even when it comes, because a lot of people talk about, well, you know, these professional athletes, we're even going to talk about how you can organize, because professional athletes are not organized to be political. But we'll, we'll cover that, too. So we're going to go, and what I'm going to do is play a couple of audios, actually three, 
like I say, the two distinctions that we're going to we're going to cover today are what is a special interest group? What is a pressure group? There's a distinction because in order to get this stuff, the results changed on the police policy and the court hearings and judges and all that. We're going to have to once again have to have on a critical mass basis a bunch of people start special interest groups, a bunch of people start pressure groups, and a bunch of people start political action committees. We're not going to talk about the facts today. So let's go to um okay, special interest groups. We're going to give you the fundamentals of what a special interest group or interest group is. This special interest group all these these interest groups interest group money it has largely been driven by special interest groups what exactly is an interest group and why did they get people all riled up to figure this out let's play which of these is an interest group dog owners kindergartners car dealers or nba players the answer they all could be interest groups People who care about the same things come together to form an interest group. In order to advance their goals, interest groups can seek to influence the government for funding or favorable laws. For example, kindergartners want more recess, car dealers want to close the deal, and NBA players, they just want to jam. There are a lot of ways that interest groups try to influence the government. Some hire lobbyists to make their case for them. Some take to the streets to hold rallies or start petitions. Some groups let money do the talking and donate to politicians. And some take to the airwaves and social media to get noticed. But why are interest groups controversial? Interest groups work to promote the interests of their members, and this can mean working against the interests of others. The difference between interest group and special interest is a matter of perspective. For instance, who could be against a playground? How about a retiree who doesn't have kids or grandkids? He doesn't want to pay more taxes for a playground he'll never use. We all want the government to be on our side. But sometimes it's hard to accommodate the interests of every group. Candy Leitner, uh, who we've had on this podcast, she's got a recorded, she's in our archive somewhere. She started a special, a special interest group, which later on became a PAC, Political Action Committee. That's how she got legislation on the books. But it, Mothers Against Drunk Driving was a, it's, it's a niche. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. That's that that is a very well defined niche market special interest group. She started that as I've said on here several times before. She said she said on here too. She started it after her oldest eldest child got killed by a drunk driver. And and the results in the court wasn't to our liking. Her first two years, only her and her father put in money. But and then later on she contacted 
other parents, other mothers who had lost children or loved ones to drunk driving. That's a very narrow niche, but it's a huge niche. And they probably take raised at least $21 million a year to their membership. They did not even start off like that. Because she wasn't politically connected to nothing like that. Like I said, if you go, if you go through my archives, you can hear her in first person, you know, it's my house, tell how she got that whole thing started. But now they're probably taking $21 million a year revenue, if not double that, where they can, you know, keep revenue in place. I mean, not keep revenue in place, keep legislation in place, you know, in various parts of the United States. All right. Now, there's, there are people, because from time to time you hear about, well, you know, what about these professional athletes? These professional athletes out here are, are essentially, they're not politically literate. However, person came up with the idea of NBA players against uh, police shootings. Very narrow niche, but wide niche. If you get together and form an organization called NBA players or professional athletes and NFL players against police shootings, okay, then you can build up the social capital and political capital where you can start that's the special interest where you can get legislation changed. Now, with the NBA, from what I understand, the NBA basically is controlled by like nine, nine agents. The nine agents that basically sign all the players in the NBA. The NBA's got like a little bit over 300 players. That's not a whole lot of people. However, if you can get partner up with one of those nine agents um, because that's the cartel. It's only, only nine, you know, that sign all these these players. But you can form a group like that. Okay, I'm just saying because you're going to have to before these got before these agents. Okay, because see these agents get a cut of these guys' checks and they get it up front. You know, you're going to have to get through them in order to, but that's one way. It's not the only way, but it's one way. The bottom line is you're going to have to, because you're talking about the typical professional athlete, although they might have a a high football IQ, a high basketball IQ, a high baseball IQ, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to have to politically illiterate. So you're going to have to educate them on that in order for them to start writing those checks you think they should be giving to the community. You're going to have to organize them into a pack, not only a political action committee, but a wolf pack, because essentially the NBA or the NFL or any you're talking about, the NBA is the easiest. NBA has got over 300 players. You're talking about 300 lone wolves that are not politically literate. You're going to have to educate them. You're going to, 
Organize first and educate while you're organizing. Then they'll write the checks. It, it comes in that order. They're just not going to write the check as a, Ill, a politically illiterate person. It's not going to happen. All right. Special interest group. Let's go to our second uh, audio on special interest group. But you, it's easy to do a special interest group than a political action committee. That's your first step to get to the PACs. Hello, I'm Craig, and this is Crash Course Government and Politics, and today we're going to talk about something almost every American has an opinion on, interest groups. Now, if you've been watching these episodes and reading the comments, you might be thinking that we've been trying to avoid the issue of money in politics and the role of special interests in the U.S. political system. We have. If you are one of those people that want us to talk about money in politics, this episode will not disappoint you. I'm kidding. I know that some of you will still be disappointed, mainly because I'm still not John Green. So before we get into how interest groups influence American politics, let's define what we mean by interest groups. Groups of people who put money in banks and gain interest. That's not what we mean. An interest group is an organized group of individuals that make policy-related appeals to government. Now, interest groups don't actually have to meet in person. In fact, in the case of very large interest groups, it would be almost impossible to get them together in a room. But most interest groups have a membership, and often it's the size of the membership that gives the group's political clout. Political scientists tell us that there are two main things that interest groups do when they interact with the government. First, they try to shape policies, which they can do by mobilizing voters or by putting direct pressure on elected officials. The second and probably more important thing that interest groups do is gather information they can provide for elected officials. Some would characterize this gathering information as interest groups writing bills for elected officials to pass into laws. So interest groups are most likely to focus on a particular branch of government, and I'll give you three guesses which one. No, not the Supreme Court, even though with only nine members it would be the most efficient way for an interest group to exert pressure. Punching is the most efficient way for me to exert pressure onto an eagle. And not the executive branch, because if you remember, the president has lots of professional people to advise him, and since he can only serve two terms, he's less susceptible to pressure that way. That leaves Congress, which is the answer. It's, that's where the interest groups exert their pressure. But wait, what about the bureaucracy? Can't bureaucrats also be the target of interest group pressure? Yes, in fact they can, mainly because interest groups, especially if they're well-funded, can supply information that is either too costly or too difficult for congressmen or bureaucratic agencies to get. But adding the fourth group messes up the whole three guesses, three branches bit I was trying to do. And guesses are fun. Let's go to the thought bubble. The combination of interest groups, Congress, and the bureaucracy are sometimes called an iron triangle, which sounds a lot cooler than it is. Actually, it's pretty cool, unless you're talking about the neighborhood in Queens near where the Mets play, in which case my previous statement still stands. Anyway, in a political iron triangle, not only do interest groups help out Congress through contributions and support, they also provide congressmen with information. Some might say that interest groups don't just provide information, they actually write the bills that become laws. And it is true that interest groups often have lawyers who propose language that can make it into bills and laws. But this is much more likely to happen on the state and local level, where legislators don't have the staff resources to do the research behind bills. In fact, the practice of interest groups writing bills for state legislators is depressingly common. Given that congressmen are pretty busy trying to get reelected, it's not surprising that they would be grateful for information from interest groups. But what about bureaucracies? They're supposed to be made up of experts, and they don't have to run for re-election, right? Well, they are, and they don't. But information is really, really costly, and often bureaucratic agencies are just not as well-funded as an 
interest group. The oil industry is represented by the American Petroleum Institute, as well as individual oil and gas companies. Because it's highly regulated, the oil industry has a big interest in seeing legislation and regulations they like passed. But more important here is the fact that the oil and gas industry has a lot of money, 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 money. Way more money than any particular federal agency. So it can spend money on research and provide information that the agencies often can't. Thanks, Thought Bubble. One more thing about interest groups and bureaucracies. There's a big temptation to think that wealthy interests spend their money providing campaign contributions and information to congressmen, and this does happen. But they can often be more effective providing information to agencies and writing regulations rather than the laws. As we've mentioned before, regulations are just as important as laws, and for many industries, even more so. That's why you'll see a lot of interest group efforts spent lobbying bureaucratic agencies as well as Congress. Before we get into the question of whether or not interest groups are destroying American democracy, I want to clarify two things that interest groups are not. First off, an interest group is not a political party. As you remember, political parties exist to get candidates elected. Interest groups exist to influence the policies that those elected officials make. Interest groups are also not the same thing as political action committees, or PAC. A PAC is an organization that collects and distributes campaign funds and information, and therefore is concerned with elections. Interest groups can give money to PACs, and they can even form their own PACs, but they aren't exactly the same thing. Okay, so now the controversial issue with interest groups. Do they have too much influence? To sort this out, I'm going to need some help from some friends, and by friends, I mean clones, which aren't my friends. Let's head to the clone zone. Okay, here we are, clone zone. It's just like the regular zone, except that thing's gone and there's a graphic. So today, clone with the tie is going to argue that interest groups are good for American democracy, and clone without the tie is going to argue that they're bad. He also has bad fashion sense. Okay, go. <clears throat> the main argument in favor of interest groups has to do with pluralism. If all interest groups are free to compete to influence officials, then they'll balance each other out. It'll be cool. The idea of incorporating lots of groups goes back at least as far as James Madison. In the Federalist Papers, Madison argued for extending the sphere in American politics and encouraging more and more factions. The theory was that the more groups there were, the less likely that any one group could gain a corrupting influence over the government. Sort of like the idea of the wisdom of crowds, or Condorcet's jury theorem. With more interest groups providing more information, we will get policies that are the result of thoughtful compromise. Another argument for interest groups is that they offer more opportunity for participation in politics. Elections only have happen every two years, on the federal level at least, but policy gets made all the time, or at least it's supposed to. By joining an interest group, an individual can push for a policy they care about all the time, not just at election time. And isn't participation the essence of democracy? I think yes. Sure, it's great to have more voices involved in policy making as long as each voice is powerful enough to be heard, and in the current system, that is just not the case. Interest group politics diminishes American democracy because some interest groups are so powerful that their voices are able to crowd out all the others. And in America today, the people with the loudest voices are the wealthy, and me right now. And it's not only because the wealthy have more money to give to politicians, although that does help. Obviously, people who are really poor can't offer campaign contributions, but there are plenty of advocates for them. But in America, the wealthy have other resources that the poor people just can't bring to bear. Like money. Lots and lots of money. They tend to be better educated, so they have access to more information and the ability to disseminate their views more art art articulately. And just as important, wealthy people have more time to devote to political participation than the poor. Sure, what you're saying makes sense, but do you have any proof? I mean, there are plenty of laws protecting poor people. What about the earned income tax credit? Well, I have a chart. Oh. You can see that the number of PACs, while not exactly the same thing as interest groups, has grown an awful lot since the mid-1970s. Corporate interests, which by and large represent wealthy people, vastly outnumber the groups representing working people, like labor and cooperative groups. In numbers alone, wealthy interest groups would seem to have more power than other groups. But that's not all. A series of studies that culminated in the book Affluence and Influence by Martin Gillens shows pretty definitively that Congress is much more likely to enact laws that respond to the interests of the wealthy than the poor. It's not that they never took poor people's interests into account, it's just that they are much, much more likely to make policies that favor the rich. Is that the essence of democracy? I think no.
Thanks, you beautiful clones. So, there you have the basics of interest groups in America and why they're so controversial. I hope that you now have a better understanding of what interest groups are and what they are not, and how they work to influence policy and government, which is their main function in the American political system. You should also know what the Iron Triangle is and why people complain so much about interest groups in America today, other than they haven't had their coffee yet. Where's my coffee? Thank you. But I also hope that you understand the idea of pluralism. It's a powerful idea and one that, if taken seriously, shows the importance of participation in politics. Is empty. And that's ultimately what interest groups do for us. They give us another avenue to have our voices heard and contribute to the policies that shape our lives. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Crash Course Government and Politics is produced in association with PBS Digital Studios. Support for Crash Course U.S. Government comes from Vocal. Vocal supports nonprofits that use technology and media to advance social equity. Learn more about their mission and initiatives at Vocal.org. Crash Course was made with the help of all of these very special interests. Thanks for watching. Okay, today's podcast, once again, is titled Stephon Clark, Colin Kaepernick, Civic Assets. Now, as we all know, that Colin Kaepernick took a knee so that a person like Stephen or Stephon Clark would have not got killed. However, when he took that knee, and he, 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 he was a professional football player, when he did that <clears throat> and he's not one at the moment. Now, had Colin Kaepernick taken a knee and before he took that knee had a special interest group behind him, he wouldn't have been a lone wolf because he was he was along with when he took that, and everybody who took a knee after him, they were also lone wolves. Once again, using the candy lightness uh, situation with mothers against drunk driving, had he had a special interest group behind him that was politically connected and had a bankroll of $20 million or more, he'd probably still be playing professional football right now. He did not have a special interest group behind him. The special interest group could have been titled Mothers Against Police Brutality. That's the special... With all the kids that have been killed here over the decades... I, for some reason, I don't know why they, who's ever listening to this podcast, you can start it. Now, what I'll do on my behalf is at our school, Jake Rector Energy Academy, which we do one-room schoolhouses, we'll offer classes where people can get the information on how to set up. We'll put you in contact face-to-face with mayors you know, the little small mayors that we know, former mayors, judges, police chiefs, to show you how the system works. And you take it back to, that's what, we'll, that's what we'll do on our platform. Okay. 
So you can go back and then get the people in your particular niche market or interest group, how you can get them politically literate. Because let, let's say this, this thing of political literacy is very important in civic assets because a civic asset, the creation of a civic asset, and Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a civic asset. It's one of your civil rights. As one of your civil rights, marching, you have a civil right to march. You have a civil right to protest. You also have a civil right to set up a civic asset. Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a civic asset. They they take in twenty to forty million dollars a year. That can be used to bankroll the kind of legislation you want. Now let's change the name up a little bit. If you create a civic asset titled "Parents or Mothers Against Police Shootings," and then start create and then start doing membership drives, five dollar membership, twenty dollar, whatever you want. Then you'll have the numbers, the money, and a political clout to start selecting judges, prosecutors, and get the legislation that you want on the books. It's not going to happen any other way. Next distinction, pressure groups. A pressure group is an organization which tries to influence the government in some way. They don't try to win power themselves, but instead attempt to shape the decisions made by those who are in power. Pressure groups can be categorized in a few ways and can belong to more than one category. Firstly, they could be interest groups. They could also be known as sectional groups because they represent a certain section of society, for example, trade unions. Membership is linked to a particular occupation or part of society. Examples are the National Union of Teachers, the Confederation of British Industry, and the British Medical Association. Alternatively, pressure groups may be cause groups. They are also known as promotional groups because they seek to promote a particular cause. For example, charities and environmental groups. Anyone can join these groups, unlike sectional groups, which people can only be members of if they are from that section of society. Examples are Amnesty International, Greenpeace and the Electoral Reform Society. Thirdly, a pressure group might be better classified as a social movement. These are similar to cause groups, but lack a formal structure. They are usually politically radical and aim to achieve a single objective. Examples might be protests against the expansion of airports. These three categorizations consider the membership and structure of pressure groups. However, they could also be classified according to the nature of their relationship to the government. Insider groups are groups regularly consulted by the government with regular access to government ministers. The CBI is a good example of this. Insider groups can be high or low profile. These groups tend to have influence because their aims are broadly in line with the government's views. On the other hand, outsider groups are groups with no special links or access to government. 
they have to use other ways to have impact, for example, using the media or trying to influence public opinion. Examples include groups like the Animal Liberation Front. Such groups may actually choose to be outsiders because they may be quite radical or they might simply be denied access to government. The status of being an insider or outsider is more of a sliding scale than either or and may change over time according to which party is in power. Outsider groups are more often well known than insiders due to the attention grabbing tactics they use and those are the main ways in which pressure groups can be classified. All right, now, <clears throat> let me give an example. Let's take the Trayvon Martin case with uh, Zimmerman. And <clears throat> we know the outcome of that. And a lot of people, you know, were screaming, racism, white supremacy. They didn't have nothing to do with that. Let me break it down for you. Number one, and this is why I did this podcast today, and we're going to do more podcasts breaking down what you heard today. The reason why these homicides keep on going and then it looks like the system is flawed, and I said looks like, is because on a critical mass basis, African Americans via civic assets have been absent do anything if you're absent you can't do anything another type of interest group could be interest group you need these in basically all communities and we can call the um, the group uh, mothers or parents uh, that hold the DA account Mothers that hold the district of attorney accountable. It's a membership organization. If, if somebody creates this, it's because it, it, to my knowledge, it doesn't exist right now. It says it's a membership organization. And one of the functions of this special interest group, they have an offshoot of it that actually bankrolls DAs in the office. Because a lot of disc, uh, uh, disc attorneys around the country are elected officials. And they have potential DAs and current DAs that come in and they speak to the group on a regular. And one of the things that when you get a DA to come in, what would you guys like to see? They're public servants. But if you don't have an organization, a special interest group or a person group created as a civic asset, you're absent. Now, Let's say you have this organization formed, and let's go to the Trayvon, the, the, the Zimmerman Trayvon Martin case. All right. One of the things that you can send your DA into office with is making sure that the charging documents are accurate or as they sh to the agenda of your organization. And that's what I call making sure that the District of Columbia that you bankroll or have a special interest in as a Wolfpack organization question. Now, in the in the Zimmerman case, Trayvon Martin Zimmerman case, the wrong question was asked. 
how and when it comes to law, questions are formed in the way of charges. Charges. He was charged with murder, second degree murder, I believe, and a manslaughter case. Murder, and then most people like Al Sharpton and the average Joe on the street was talking about murder, as they are with Stephon Clark. <clears throat> Quick Law Study Group class right now, and you can look this up online on any law dictionary. There, stop saying murder. It's a homicide. The legal definition of a homicide is a, a human life taken by a human being. There's seven distinctions of homicide. Suicide, murder one, murder two, man one, manslaughter one, manslaughter two, justifiable homicide, and negligible homicide. Those are your seven distinctions of homicide. It's on the books as black letter law and case law in every county in the United States. In order to, and you got to, you got to prove these elements. Now, if you had a civic asset that basically kept its mitts into the district attorney's office. The, in my opinion, the correct question for the Zimmerman case and Trayvon Martin should have been different. Zimmerman was charged with murder, I think murder too. It wasn't murder. Get a copy of Black's Law Dictionary and also the Florida Code and look up what the definition of these seven definitions, these things I just brought out there. Now, and my, but they had enough for probable cause to get rid of him. And then emotionally, people screaming murder. Had, had Zimmerman been charged with negligible homicide, the state would have got a conviction. However, to my knowledge, before and since in Orange County and Seminole County, wherever they held this trial, they have not, or, or, or from coast to coast in the United States, African Americans have not formed a special interest group to hold district of attorneys accountable. If you're, if, if you're absent from the system with a civic asset, which I've been explaining, it's not racism, it's not white supremacy, is you've been absent, and if you're absent and you haven't showed up to the game, there's no way in the hell you can win. Now, the Fraternal Order of Police, which they have different chapters in all counties from coast to coast, they're not absent. That's why they keep on getting these breaks, because they, the Fraternal Order of Police is a, special, a bunch of special interest groups who raise money who get legislation on the books that favors them. I 
African Americans need to do the same thing. If you want these homicides to stop, if you want to see justice done in the court system, you're going to have to form these type of special interest groups I just mentioned. Like I say, on our part, in our school, we'll set up classes and workshops so we can get you politically literate and connect you to real-life working politicians, DAs, judges, police chiefs, the whole nine, so you can get politically literate, so you can form these civic assets, and then get in the game and be present. But as long as you're absent, it's not going to happen for you. Um, in any event, like I said, we're, we're going to cover the breakdown of these, plus bring on lobbyists so you can talk to, you have an opportunity to talk to lobbyists. Um, other people who form special interest groups uh, and things of that nature. Um, but like I say, you, you can, if something, you know, there's got to be, I don't know how many parents who have lost their kid to police brutality. That's got to be one of the, but you got to form a group and put them together. And you got to raise a membership. On that note, everyone have a good rest of the day. 